Welcome to another episode of our Star Trek retrospective series. But before we check our sensors, we just want to extend a big thank you to Grandpa Crafter, who's our latest listener to join the crew as a founding member over on Patreon. This time, our long-range sensors are picking up an exotic illness as we head into the next generation's The Naked Now. This, of course, is the episode where everyone gets drunk and Tasha downloads a fully functional demo of Data. Yes, uh, which is kind of referenced numerous times in future Star Trek um, as kind of a running gag, isn't it, really? Yes. Uh, but this is where it began. And This is fully functional origins is what we're discussing here. Yeah, not, not always just a gag, though. I mean, it's, it's certainly for more poignant moments as well. It's a character-developing uh, yeah. little segment isn't it really yeah, yes but, but certainly in first contact then you know the fact that he's not just fully functional but uh well versed in multiple techniques is, leaves a lot to the imagination doesn't it really um i don't think it you know, does what, leave much to the imagination i think it's pretty clear <laughs> <laughs> there's a great uh moment in uh i don't know if you've seen there's a di- i think it might be a blu-ray extra or a dvd extra of one of the films or one of the tng d- dvds back in the day like the captain summit and it has like um it had like a Riker or jonathan frakes patrick stewart Sh- uh, william shatner and Leonard nimoy all together in a room um sort of compared by Whoopi Goldberg and I just talk about their life their lives on, on, on Star Trek and they somehow get to a joke about data and they talk about him being fully functional and Picard and uh, Picard. Patrick Stewart um <laughs> says, Oh yes, he's got three speeds and uh what are they to Jonathan? <laughs> and Jonathan goes <laughs> so yeah. A lovely little kind of a reference to that perhaps is what they were they were, they were getting at there. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Check check that out, the Captain Summer. I think it, someone just uploaded it to YouTube. I think it was on one of the on the Blu-rays. But yeah, it's a really good little uh, hour-long chat, and this is very casual and funny and and everything. So yeah, um, but yeah, it turns out that the Naked Now, in terms of where it sits in the sort of you know the pantheon of Star Trek, it is actually season one. Well, episode three, if you count the pilot as being a two-parter, which it would have been wouldn't it, Alan, when yeah. it was uh, in syndication? Uh, yeah. But technically either episode two or three, depending on how how it's been placed in whatever TV um, uh, schedule you ended up watching it on. Um, it's episode season one, episode three of Star Trek The Next Generation. So we're going basically straight after the pilot here. Yeah, it's a uh, very first standalone. For it, it is. And... Uh, and, and- these these tend to have a certain amount of jank to them because they're they're still trying to get their footing. the The second episodes I find are always kind of a little bit weird. Yes, they each, are. Yeah, show it's like they've they've started running pretty fast with the pilot, and then they're like, okay, now we've actually got to do the thing. <laughs> we've got to yeah, we've got to make the yeah. rest of the series now. So uh, it's interesting. Yeah, you can sort of go through them a little bit, and you've got like you know, uh, I guess the court. We've well, either got where no one has, where no man has gone before, in terms of to- TOS. Um, although you could probably really say it's the Corbomite maneuver, which is the the first regular show episode of, of TOS, which is very good. Um, 
actually. And you've obviously got this, Naked Now and TNG. DS9 is past prologue, I think, which mm. I don't think is that great. I'm sure we'll get to these episodes, of course. Um, I actually quite like... Um, the second episode of Voyager Parallax. Yes, um, that one that mainly one works well. Mainly because uh, Neelix refers to the Doctor as the the Electronic Man. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny, <laughs> funny in itself in that episode. But but actually quite quite good, um, quite a good episode. And then Enterprise, you've got um, God, I can't remember what the second episode of Enterprise is. I know the Strange New World is that's that's maybe the third or the fourth actually. Um, Fight or Flight, I think, is the second episode. Like a ho actually a kind of a Hoshi themed episode, I think. Um and yeah, also, you know, we don't we haven't decided yet if we're gonna cover the post, you know, to nineteen eighty seven to two that well, we're kinda of going nineteen sixty six to, to two thousand and five, aren't we, is kind of what yeah. we're staying inside at the moment. I'm sure we'll, we'll get we might get to those sort of later era Star Trek. But yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag, is basically in a very long winded way. Um, is what I'm saying about the second episodes of Star Trek there. Yes, and this episode opens with a teaser where we've we've got uh, Picard starting his log about having a rendezvous with the Chayofsky, I think it was Siakovsky. called. Yeah, it's... Even when they're saying it, it's hard for me to kind of... <laughs> for some people, <laughs> evidently. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's, a yeah. no, it's a no-birth-class science vessel, and it's monitoring the collapse of a, a red supergiant star that's turning into a white dwarf. But they've been receiving some strange messages that's indicating that something's gone wrong on the ship. And um, One of those messages we hear is a woman seductively asking if there's any pretty boys on board and that she's willing and waiting. And then we hear... a ton of laughter there's the sound of an emergency hatch being blown and i i think a really good moment for with picard and day where picard's like are you certain and then just immediately stops and corrects himself and says of course you are yeah, where he's, yeah. he's starting to kind of realize like right yes this is data of course if he's saying that that was an emergency hatch it's going to be an emergency hatch um, yes, I mean, th 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 there's some quite cool things in this little tea. It's quite a long teaser. It is, um, yes. As well. Um, they tend to be shorter on average, I would say. I think Voyager's got the record, hasn't it, with um, um, Course Oblivion. It's got the longest teaser, I think. It's about seven minutes long or something crazy like like that. But yeah. Um, yeah, you've got some really cool effects straight away. I'm not even talking about like the HD upscaled versions. I mean, just the plain, mm. you know, regular version. You've got a great sort of... Um, view of like the Enterprise, you know, coming up on a star, and we've seen the you know, birth class already, even in you know 1987 when people would have seen this for the first time. Obviously, that's the, that was the Grissom in Star Trek Three, so it's kind of cool that we're already getting these little links and connections to the rest of the well, the, the what's been established already in Star Trek. Yeah. Um, that these ships, although you might question, you know, they're really using these ships for like you know 60, 70, 80 plus years. Um, but yeah, they are, I guess. Obviously, we saw an Excelsior-class ship in um, the encounter at Farpoint very briefly. Um, so that's probably a little bit already been established. But um, yeah, it's and it's and also, like we touched upon, I think, way back when we did um, Lonely Among Us, sort of the slightly weird like camera angles and stuff. There is, again, a lot of, you know, close-ups of Picard, but like underneath him and pointed up to him. Mm, yeah. um, that we got in kind of the pilot and they will kind of tone that down as the season goes on but lots of slightly yeah slightly odd angles still that we saw in the pilot I mean I think this was filmed like a solid like month 
after they finished on the pilot. I think they did get like a little bit of a break um, uh, between the pilot and the regular series sort of starting. Oh. Um, I think I think the pilot was filmed in like May, um, and this yeah. is in July that uh, this was filmed. Uh, thank you, me- Memory Alpha. Um, but but yeah. Yeah, and that would make sense as well because obviously they want to make sure that the pilot actually gets picked up before they move to production fully. So I think that's fairly typical, yeah, yeah. to have a little gap. And and with you saying about the Oberth and being in service, I mean, we do see them exploring the ship. We see the aftermath of everything that's gone on. Uh, they are they do have L cars, so it is all modern system displays. Yeah. Uh, they show the emergency hatch on the bridge, but I've never seen a bridge with an emergency hatch like that yeah. since. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, do bridges typically have those? Um, yeah, I mean, you only really see the uh, like an emergency hatch on a bridge being used probably in like Star Trek Four at the end. That's a Klingon yeah. ship. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's quite an odd thing. I mean, it's basically there just to progress the plot and have a reason and a, a way that they would have easily killed themselves, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, they could have all said, I mean, if, I mean, I'm, we're being really picky here, but perhaps it would have made more sense for them to all have gone to the cargo bay and had a big drunken party in there. You know, with disco lights and stuff, I guess. Because that would work as a place of a party. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and they would obviously, yeah, someone would have pressed the button to decompress it, and there you go, you know, that a slightly weird plot device of a, of a, of a hatch on, on, like, the bridge. But you could argue, well, that's what the O'Birth class has for some reason. Um, yeah. 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 But it's, 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 We don't really see the bridge... We don't really see the bridge, but apart from that, do we? It's just like on a on a on a security camera almost. That's it. Yeah. So you see some of the yeah. bridge chairs, but that's about it. Which again, it it works really well for them to not have to build a whole new bridge set. And yes, they, yeah. they would have just used the battle bridge as they've done many times since. Yeah, as well, they, anyway. they, would, they would redress it. Yeah, for another yeah. bridge. Um, yeah, and and like you're saying with the effects, like having the people frozen was a pretty good effect for that as well. Yeah, you might already twig, um, well, in the original series episode, this is a sequel to, The Naked Time, um, mm. which I probably would say is a better episode than this. Um, yeah. Well, you might be surprised what our final opinion is on this episode when we get to the end, but um, <laughs> um, you you might make a connection already if you're really switched on in 1987, having watched this for the first time, because obviously that opens with a scene of people frozen. Um, although they're not on a ship, it's on a planet. Mm. um so maybe you'll be like oh they're doing that again i'm not sure that you would i don't think you would make that connection though because i think you you probably would i think it was made very clear certainly by gene roderbury and this is something we'll probably hark back to as we get deeper into the episode he was very clear like um, when he was developing the next generation that i don't want any old stuff at all i don't want any old races any old plot devices this is going to be new fresh like awesome and that's already fallen over you know in in the pilot you know, Dr. McCoy makes an appearance as a Klingon on the bridge. Yeah. Um, well, so he, he also was yeah. very adamant about not having another Spock character or to have that yes. dynamic of the trio. So yeah. Kirk is really split into Picard and Riker for that very reason. For him. But yes, one of the things that I do find interesting with this as well is that as we move into Act 1, we get to see them establishing a few other characters a bit more so data we we start to find out a little bit more about how he's in tons of published works already and we get to learn more about geordie and the fact that yes he can see better than people but uh again he's wanting to still see less so he can see more like we do yeah yeah Uh, but 
also, they really push the fact that Wesley is this wonder child that's really smart. He can build things like uh, he builds a portable tractor beam, which is is pretty impressive. I, I can't build one. Yeah. Um, but he also has a box that is... It's basically an AI voice generator. What? What is this? This is ridiculous. I know. It's like it's like. Well, what does he do with it all day? He sits at home, like doing pretending he's on the bridge. I mean, okay, we probably did that when we were kids. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> but his age, and he's saying like, oh yeah, I I use this. I have voice recordings of Picard, and I I pretend that he's giving me the orders. Like he's playing make believe. It just came. It came across creepy. As it, hell. It's very creepy as an adult. Yeah, <laughs> like if he was younger, like if he was the age I was when I was watching the show, then yeah, absolutely, I'd have been doing the exact yeah. same thing. But yeah. looking at it now as an adult and just seeing the age that he was at, because he's a teenager at this point. I mean, that's just plain weird. Yeah, and <laughs> and and Riker's like, I'm a, I'm glad you're on his side. <laughs> Yeah, so, and it's, it's, it looks hilarious as well. It's like a little weird, oddly shaped guy thing that fits in your hand with a with a big glowing box in it. I'm like, really? <laughs> it needed all that just to make Picard just to sound do a be a voice. There were some of the toys we got in the '90s did the same thing and were smaller than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's just a kind of a child. Like, yeah, I mean, they're they're really laying it on thick here. Like, look how amazing Wesley is. He can make a tractor beam in his in his in his room and a Picard box. And it's like, but it's just, it comes across a little bit weird. Um, I mean, I'm not anti-Wesley. Um, no. We were kids when 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 we were watching these shows, or this show. Um, so we kind of were able to live vicariously through him. Um, I can get like some 30-year-old watching it who is a fan of the original series, might roll their eyes at a kid who's brilliant and saves the ship all the time. But for us... It was perfect because um, it's like people complaining about Jar Jar Binks. I was like a teenager when I saw Phantom Menace and I thought it was kind of funny. You know, yeah. it's a silly ca- character. Um, but oh, yeah. Wesley's kind of the same, you know, not exactly the same as Jar Jar Binks. But um, yeah, yeah, he didn't offend me. Yeah, I, I've certainly said before about how I started to get onto the Wesley Sucks bandwagon because as the internet started to come about, that's what I was learning everybody else thought. Yeah, and I so, didn't know people hate, hate yeah, him at all. Yeah, and so I'm like, okay, yeah. so we're supposed to hate him now. And then as time goes yeah. on, it's like, but I don't. And no. I, I thought they were kind of smart with how they did develop him later on. I like to think of this as just he's he's a kid who's not really had chance to socialize much. And he no. is one of the oldest kids on the ship as well, which is one of the first ships to allow families on board. So Exactly, yeah. He's wearing a cracking uh, sweater as well. One of the all-time <laughs> season one greats out of all the sweaters he wears, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we then move on to the second act. Oh, bear, bear in mind that Geordie is, is infected by something at this point. Oh, yes, yeah, sweating profusely. Acting, sweating profusely, that, yes. That's, that's, that's like the key indicator as well, that they're all, they yeah. all start sweating. Palms get sweaty. It's like how hot it is. Heavy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And... This is when we start to pick up details from the Naked Time, as you alluded to earlier, because they mention the Enterprise and Kirk by name. This is a very, very significant moment yeah. in TNG. Because this um, firmly establishes, like, this is not a reboot, this is a sequel. Yeah, this is this literally should, like tells us directly this is happening in the same universe as 
as did TOS they, and the, the older films, they share the same universe. Okay, yeah, you could say, well, we already saw Dr. McCoy and we already saw, you know, an Excelsior-class ship and now an Oberth-class ship. But, you know, that's all vague. Well, McCoy maybe is quite blatant, really, but um, it still could be an alternate reality or something they could have decided it yeah. was in, you know, a year later, later when they were, you know, later on when they were developing the show. But no, this is literally takes place in the same universe as the original series. They mentioned Captain Kirk. They mentioned, say, Constitution class USS Enterprise. Mm. They described the episode plot to the naked now, um, and obviously it's clear at this point now um that um having you know the, the it, it was they there was have uh, Riker noticed the person showering clothed wasn't it on the Siakovsky yeah um and that's a direct reference to what what they saw on is it side side 3000 was was uh, the planet um in uh, the, the naked yeah, now that was slowly naked time. shrinking yes yeah yeah so it, so it's uh subtle but again um that's that a huge moment actually in a TNG really that's very understated. Mm. Um, it wasn't through an okudogram that data looked at and they said, Oh yeah, um, this is a disease where this ha happens. They literally specified, you know, uh, and made a point of it, you know, Captain Kirk and the, and Star Trek history, what is to them history. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting moment that is, um, yeah. in TNG. And, yeah. and as you say, it's not a disease. It's more, uh, the environment and how that changes because again we're not dealing with a shrinking planet we're dealing with a shrinking star yes so it's similar but not quite the same but you know obviously the gravitational effects are kind of involved there and they say that it's more of an intoxication only worse and they exemplify this a couple of different ways uh because we have a lot of the crew making out as tasha is roaming the ship but tasha really exemplifies it because she is getting very sultry and, you know, just the way that she wanders through the ship and uh, and starts making out the crew herself. Yeah, it's, it's kind of gets a bit... Unfortunately, this is where the sexism of the episode comes in a, a little bit. Yeah. Basically, um, the women just become horny and want to make out with everybody and the men are, are, men are just bravely fighting the effects and trying to save the ship and being all, you know, dynamic and everything. So, um, well, just this the lead men, the uh, the secondary yeah. ones are just a bit more stupid, I would say. Yes, yeah, um, and goofy. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about how it affects the lead characters, you know, shortly, but yeah, at the moment, it seems that uh, the, the the female characters are just kind of end up getting horny from it, <laughs> which is you know, probably an yeah. episode written by men, unfortunately. So sorry, all the all the women that are, that are well, it's not we didn't do it. We, we don't need to apologize. Um, <laughs> just obviously, you know, we're sort of you know apologizing on behalf of the writers to any you know female Star Trek fan. I'd love to know what their perspective on this is. Actually, you know, um, you know, maybe people get some comments on 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 this episode when it goes out. But um, I'd love to know how they view this episode. You know, how they're you know the female characters are treated because um, it's not great. Um, I don't think, unfortunately. So just having a look that the, it was DC Fontana's first draft story outline for this. But then you do have Herbert Wright and Robert Justman adding their takes. And so we don't know. You can't help think, but rather, you know, there, yeah. was, there was a little bit of Roddenberry dust was sprinkled on yeah. on this. And he was like <laughs> horny as all, as all get out. So, yeah, um, yeah I've probably got watered. Oh, those elements are probably added because Dorothy Fontana, mates, is awesome and has some incredible contributions to Star Trek. Um, 
So I can't imagine she would purposely make the female characters ho- drunk and horny. Yeah. Uh, she might, I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> we certainly see them as well walking through engineering as they're having this big kind of horny orgy that's just kicking off. And there's there's not the little control table in the middle of the room. That's, that's Oh, not, the, uh, that's the pool table. The yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's loads of like weird things, isn't there? Lots of that season one jank um, is stuffed into this episode. Um, there's no, obviously, the, the chief engineer's situation is kind of semi-established here with McDougal. Yeah. Who doesn't actually get, doesn't seem to get infected at all, I don't think, by by, by the disease in this episode. She kind of goes, just goes about her job uh, very efficiently. That's a good point, um, actually. Yeah, she... A lot, yeah, a lot, I don't lot of the fact Picard, so. like... Picard literally summon. Well, no, Picard doesn't summon her. Wesley does. Um, like that's a typical thing that Picard would do anyway. Yeah. Like he wouldn't. He wouldn't tell her to come all the way up to the bridge. Um, but but yeah, she yeah she doesn't seem to really get affected by it. Uh, maybe she doesn't. You know. Um, yeah, it's interesting. As we move on to Act Three, this is where we get to probably the the main part that most people remember this episode for, and that's Data and Tasha. Uh, Tasha starts to talk to Data um, after he joins her in her quarters. And this is where we start to learn of the rape gangs on Takana 4, which we'll see again just a few episodes later in episode 6, which is where No Man Has Gone Before. Also, Deanna um, calls calls Riker Bill. Yes. Which yeah. is one of the very few occasions. I think it might be the last time. Yeah, I don't um, I, He gets called that. Yeah. yeah that, there's some, I think that was from like the early episode Bible. Yeah. I mean, Deanna contributes nothing really to this episode. She basically, um, Tasha asks her to borrow some of her clothes. She says no in a polite way and then just turns up drunk and horny to Riker who carries her away. Yeah, she just <laughs> so... confer- and she just gives her medical opinion of confirming that it is intoxication and not yes, an infection. Right, yeah. So she's just there yeah. just to back that up. Um, yeah. But it's it's really quite sad with the whole rape gang thing. I mean, that's, that's hard-hitting stuff, especially for the 80s. To be oh, like, yeah. you know, here she was for 10 years escaping rape gangs. And then she's, now that she's horny, she's kind of turning the power herself onto, um, you know, requesting stuff from Dave. But she's saying, but it's not like she's being forceful at all because she's saying that what she wants is gentleness, joy, and love. But then It's a shame just, because I I think she's a really interesting character. She doesn't get enough credit, um, yeah. Tashio. We never get to explore it, really, because she, she dies. I know she comes back, kind of, and then she has a Romulan daughter and all that weird weird stuff, but um, it would have been really interesting to see because her background, we get we get these very grim-looking glimpses of it. She's obviously managed to come, come out, you know, good on the end. I mean, she kind of touches upon it in the pilot as well when they're in the queue court. Where she kind of mm. goes off on a big, on a big, um, you know, um, rant um, at Q, um, and that's all we get really. Um, and I, she would, I think, it would have been a very interesting character to develop. I mean, it's already unique in having a security, the chief of security being a woman, is already quite a cool thing already. Um, you normally expect it to be basically you expect someone like that to be like Shaxx. Um, yeah. In lower decks, or or wolf, you know, a, a, a big, a big sort of brute-looking dude who, you know, he looks quite threatening and could look after, looks like they could look after themselves. But for a fairly, you know, um, you know, regular-looking sort of woman, and she's clearly established to be capable, you know, for in in subsequent episodes, um, in, in in that role. Yeah, it's just a shame we didn't really get more development and get more of a background. We could got, got a bit more when we, her sister turns up. 
briefly yeah. in an episode later on in other series. But yeah, um, really sad that we didn't really get to explore any of that. Yeah, and, and this also led to the reason why she ended up leaving the show was for that yes. very reason. Yeah, um, yeah, she's also, you know, and it was it was kind of a little bit ugly as well how, how it happened. But, you know, fair enough, she felt she wasn't really getting the development or the being able to exercise her acting chops the way she was hoping. Because um, presumably, I mean, the character is based on, on Vasquez in Aliens, uh, which, is, you know, Aliens is my favourite film ever. Um, so, you know, that was a very similar character, a tough female character that you wouldn't really associate with a female. Um, so, uh, that, that was, that was where Tashiar came from. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, just, it would have been great to, to have her, to, to have gone the seven seasons with her, mm. uh, to see where, where that character w- w- would have gone ultimately. Yeah. I also think that Star Trek has tried to do sex a few times and has never been good at pulling that off. But I think where this scene works best is it is a you know a hint at but don't show kind of thing. And yeah, you see the doors close, so you know exactly what's happened. And and at the very end of the episode, when she comes up, you know, you know, just skipping ahead a bit, where she says, "I've got one thing to say to you, Daisy." It never happened. Yeah. Like that, that's yeah, it. You know, it's basically sets the tone for for that. But you, you don't really see her again in, no. in uh, the episode, so she just stays in bed. <laughs> I, I, I guess, but, but yeah, yeah, but, yeah. And it's, I, I think that probably is where it's worked the best. Beyond that, it's not really worked so well in Star Trek. But this isn't also the only attempt because as we move into Act Four. This is where we start to see this happening with a couple of other people. Because we have Picard, first of all, talking to Wesley about alcohol and its yes. effects and things. And uh, and side note, I know that when I was a kid, seeing that, that was kind of like, oh, so alcohol, that makes people do things like this episode. Maybe I shouldn't drink that. <laughs> There's always a thing yeah. in the back of my head relating to this. Like, okay, so... You drink alcohol, you might blow a hatch on the bridge and get sucked out into space. Noted. Bad idea. Yes, yeah. But it's, it's not too preachy. No, um, no it's, it's a, not. It's a very throwaway kind of moment in uh, the episode. It's not like the episode, you know, Symbiosis, where you know, they really kind of hammer it home. It's like yeah. a G.I. Joe infomercial at the end of an episode of G.I. Joe sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And whilst Wesley has hijacked the ship, we're also getting Picard saying, you know, that's a very adult way of looking at the fact that you're intoxicated, um, which I, I think works works pretty well. But the thing that's weird to me is that Data gets intoxicated. They, they do mention this, though. They do highlight the fact that he shouldn't be because he is a machine, but he retorts that with, well, we're not that different. I mean, oh, yeah, I, I don't buy that at all. No. I think that's ridiculous. I don't think Data should get it. She should have got, got in, infected or however he's managed to... You know, yeah. uh, he's a he's a he's a completely different organism to yeah. to to you know to the to, to the rest of the crew. So yeah, it makes. I mean, it's, it brings you get some good comedic moments mm. um, uh, with that. And I'm you know I'm not going to begrudge you know having those. Um, and Brent Spiner's brilliant as he always is, although it's still very early at this point, of course. But um, yeah, it just does not make sense at all. And just him saying that we're kind of similar because I've got paws, you know. Um, there's, there's I think. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's it, kind of hand waved yeah. away a, a, a little bit, really. Yeah, I, I mean, th- this this comes down to that episode two jank that we were talking about, where they still haven't yes. quite f- fully established the rules. And I know that Brent Spiner has always said that. Well, this was for him to really figure out because nobody's played an android like him before. So anything he does is that's how an android is. Yeah, which yeah. gave him a bit more freedom. But we do end up with Picard and Crusher, who are really starting to and like get to the you know to succumb. That's the word I was looking for. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, to succumb to <laughs> the effects of this intoxication, and they are really fighting, just trying to jump on top of each other. But looking back now, like I think this scene works even better after all these years. Because we know about Picard's relationship with Jack Crusher, her now deceased ex, well, now deceased husband, um, and you you really kind of sense that connection that they've always had, and that they do kind of hint at throughout the series that they would have a relationship if they could. But there's still that whole elephant in the room. Well, we, um, yeah, I mean, this is, there's, I've got a few points on this as well, but a fun, like a, a thing, that, a significant thing that has happened um, already is obviously you've mentioned it already, but um, the ridiculousness probably needs to be looked at a little bit. And that's Wesley basically taking control of the ship. Mm. Um, obviously, he was infected quite early. Um, I think probably the second person, I think, with Geordie sort of passing it on to him. And um, he is basically the reason for the jeopardy in this episode, um, which I don't think is really good. Uh, it's not as, the jeopardy isn't quite the same level that it was in the TOS episode. I'd probably mm. say with the ship basically crashing into a planet. I know the ship would still be destroyed in this because of the um, um, they need to get away from the sun that's about to go uh, Nova, isn't it? I think is is uh, the main yeah. jeopardy here. And um and and Wesley's basically uh, taken taken over the ship, um and he's I guess you get a bit of payoff with that little tractor beam, which he's now managed to turn into a force field, um yes. So I guess the, the that that's a nice little payoff there of that little gadget that he built for himself, and then he's just got a bunch of guys just stood outside side sort of laughing at him, and sort of joining in in a weird slightly awkward way, mm. um outside the force field. They're quite happy just to be sat, let him sit in there. Um, and it obviously gets worse when Data turns up. Uh, no, he uh, the 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 assistant, isn't it? That's in there, that is kind of friends with with Wesley and lets him kind of go in. Yeah, Shimoda. Um, Shimoda, yes, yes, Shimoda. Yeah. Um, he sort of lets him uh, just go, like sort of cover him while he goes off. Uh, well, Wesley stages it so he thinks Picard is summoning him. Um, and Shimoda comes back and starts taking out the isolinear chips. Um, and that entire little panel there apparently screws up the entire ship if you take out the isolinear chips. Um, and he's having a great time doing that. Um, he's, so, just playing, yeah. he's basically playing Jenga solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite literally he uses them as little play play things, um, doesn't he? But yeah, meantime, you know, while that's going on, yeah, we've out of the blue, really. Um, well, you get you get this very quick, it's touched upon very quickly in the pilot where um, Picard was friends with Jack Crusher and um, he brought brought his dead body to back back to them, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. Not, not literally. I can imagine in, you know, some kind of 
you know, in a, a brought, brought the coffin back um, or something, you know. Yeah. Um, Did, didn't shoot him out of a torpedo. No, no. At, West, as, as at Wesley the, uh... and Beverly, directly lined up. Yeah. Yeah, as a tradition. Fired the, <laughs> fired the coffin directly at Wesley and, 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 <laughs> and Beverly at home. Uh, one day we were just sat there and a coffin shot through our window. Um <laughs> And yeah, so 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 that <laughs> that's a very grim, weird, weird, weird sort of uh, vision there. But yes, um, it's established uh, that they've got this prior relationship that's got a very sort of dark edge to it, yeah. or dark sort of you know plot point to it, um, and it's a bit awkward. Um, and I think there was there's an element of Crush is kind of a bit baffled as to why Picard kind of brought her on the ship in the first place. Um, and uh, yeah, and there's called kind of maybe for a bit of a uh, that Picard apparently we know he doesn't like kids anyway, but now he's got to deal with a kid, a teenager yeah. really, um, with Wesley that also he has this slightly you know very grim you know history with. Um, so we've got that, but it turns out that they kind of fancy each other anyway. So yeah, um, yeah I mean you've also got uh, the fact that he's. Uh, like her commanding officer so that's going to play a factor in it as well yeah. and and she's kind of saying i'm a woman i haven't had the comfort of a husband a man that can mean a lot of things yeah as she's Giggity. as she's slowly unzipping her uniform in front of him with the door open to the bridge where all the bridge crew can see her about yeah. to jump him yeah and uh and he's but Picard very bravely yes um fights off her advances or at least sort of diffuses the situation B- a little bit bravely um <laughs> I, yeah, like, yeah. do you feel like he's gonna die from this this is <laughs> what i'm talking about this is where the male characters are like you know i can't give in to my you know desires i'm gonna be so i'll be you know cool and play it cool and hopefully we'll get through this whereas the women just like yeah let's just let's just let's just do it you know <laughs> so yeah, but again, it is slightly, there is a slightly comedic like element to it as well. Mm. And, you know, it is fun, you know. Yeah. I know we're kind of dunking on it a little bit. But it is, they, they play it really well. It's fun. It is kind of funny. Um, Picard calls her Bev in a very amusing way. Um, and, I mean, obviously, we um, uh, Beverly has also established that the old cure that they used on the uh, in, in TOS doesn't work. Um, it's changed somehow. And she was already kind of frantically trying to come up with um a way around that um so mm. we don't really know where that is at the moment um um and but yeah obviously you know you're you're quite right in what you've said that the whole beverly picard thing doesn't fully get paid off really you've got the episode attached much much many years later um in season six really um is really when you get another kind of progression of that relationship yeah. um and it really establishes that these were real feelings that, that well, certainly Picard had for for Beverly, and they basically start a relationship at that point. And um, you don't really see again; you don't really see a lot after that until the the final episode. Yeah. Um, and then you don't see anything again until well, pick the yeah, the the latest season of Picard. So that's uh, blimey, that's like thirty or nearly thirty years. You know, twenty five, thirty years of history there with very little, you know. Very slow burning stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the, the final act, we do, we, we have some scenes before, but we do end up with Picard and Beverly still realizing that they're not really thinking straight. And we, we still see a little bit more of this. The thing I love about this, though, is Picard's little happy skips. 
Yes. He just repeatedly <laughs> skips as he's kind of walking in and out of sick bay. He's got that kind of spring in his step. And uh, I, I, I always found that that was a really amusing little trait to yeah, what's going I, I on. Yeah, I want to know. I mean, I don't know if there's like um, like a, a commentary or something you can listen to on like the Blu-ray. I'm not, I'm not sure if they put commentaries on the episodes. But um, I want to know if that's like a, like a Patrick Stewart thing that he added in or it was literally the script, do a funny little skip as you're walking out of the doctor's office um, yeah. out of sick bay. So, um, it's well yeah, played I, between them. I, I think the, the performance is good, especially with Picard going like, in the middle of trying to talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the, I mean, like, um, Picard at Farpoint, Picard is, is, is very, very dry. Um, kind of a bit dull. Um, I mean, this is, this is coming from someone that is Captain Picard's my favorite Star Trek character of all time. Yeah. Um, but I remember watching that pilot for the first time, I didn't like Captain Picard at all. He's, he's shouts a lot. Um, in that first episode, he's very, um, blunt with, 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 with people. Doesn't really smile. The only time he really smiles is to shake Riker's hand. Um, and you know, obviously he does yeah. that. You know, he does that, that epic line at the end, you know, let's see what's out there, engage. But apart from that, not really um, established as quite a... You couldn't be more further from Captain Kirk, who's quite warm and funny and has a lot of charisma. Um, you could see why people would lead... He's a leader. Um, well, you guess you could see why people would consider Picard a leader because of his. he, he is so, you know, blunt and, and a bit gruff and a bit acerbic. But here you really see the other side of him. I know he's, he's infected with a with an intox, intoxicating disease, mm. but um, it's probably the first time where you kind of you really see that there's a bit more to Picard than just being a very um, one dimensional kind of boring leader person. You know, yeah. um, not to say that that we wouldn't have gone back to the way he was before then, but. He does, there are some little cracks in that initial, you know, portrayal of Picard that we saw in the pilot here. Yeah. Um, and obviously as the years go by, we, we, everybody, you know, he we, we becomes the, one of the greatest Star Trek characters. But yeah, um, it, there is, it was fun fun to see such a dramatic change in the way he acts um, in this because of the virus. And the interesting thing is, like with Riker at this point, who obviously gets infected, it, it doesn't really seem to do anything no, to him. He just sweats a bit. He, he, he gets a hyperspray at the very end as the cure kind of comes around like everybody's getting the hyperspray and instantly they're cured like it's within seconds if yeah. that and Riker just seems to just sit up right <laughs> that's all that yeah. changes that's, yeah that's and, and it. even it works on data as well again we, yeah. we went down the rabbit hole of how he's even infected anyway but there's another element of how kind of silly it is he, just, he gets the same hyperspray and it works on 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 him and at this point um, he's been recruited or kind of, you know, carried to where Shimoda was and he's starting to put the isolinear chips in. And um, it's another really cool demonstration, actually, of Data's abilities. Yes. Seeing him put these isolinear chips in, you know. Yeah, and saying this will take slightly more time than we have is just a brilliant line as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. When you start to realise they just need that extra minute. Um, and we do get a payoff, really, for that reason uh with wesley's tractor beam which i'm kind of glad that the way that they actually introduced that as a thing through, that becomes the uh the final solution really to yeah the, to the problem that they're facing because i should have called it the episode should have been called wesley's tractor beam <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> like possibly that's like 
Yeah. Or a repulsor beam, because that's what he turns it into. And he's just like, well, yeah. why don't we just push off from the Oberth and just push the ship back? And then that will give us an extra minute. Uh, I don't know how fast you'd have to be moving the ship to get an extra minute out of it. But um, but yeah, Wesley does it. Uh, and that's... It's, just, it's a nice little scene as well. I mean, you get quite yeah. a nice effect as well of the... Um... The uh, Siakovsky oh, yeah. uh, crashing in into the uh, the bit of the the sun that had spewed out, which is what what was ultimately going to destroy the Enterprise. Um, yeah. uh, it, the, the the sun went nova, and it and it fired out a bit of stellar material. I think is what they call it at, at the Enterprise. And yeah, we see Wesley with his new repulsor beam, sort of pushes the Siakovsky into that little bit of looks like an asteroid, and you get a very cool. Uh, again, it kind of it kind of shows you that some like TV effects now, certainly in the Star Trek realm, are kind of not too far behind what what we were seeing in the Star Trek films um, at this yeah. point in time. Yeah, industrial that light and magic a... were just yeah. phenomenal back then, and for a TV budget as well, that that was incredible. Yeah. And for a second episode too. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't a reused shot. There wasn't any shots at this point, apart from the the Enterprise cruising around, you know, that we would see throughout the series. Um, this yeah. was, you know, a, a really cool effect of the Siakovsky blowing up. Um, and it was, yeah, especially in, on... It wasn't really a common thing to see in, in TV series. I'm sounding like I'm overstating it a little bit, but I don't think I am, you know. Yeah. There wasn't science fiction TV series in the 80s that would have this kind of thing in it. Yeah. You know, so um, so yeah, that was kind of a very cool effect. Um, yeah. actually, yeah. The, the the two things that I thought were fun to end on as well was how Worf refers to Wesley as Wesley the boy, and then Crusher just comes in and corrects him and goes Wesley, and just kind of points and her out her head like, kind of pops into the frame in almost a comedic way. Yeah, um, just kind of well, like yeah. that's my son, and he's a genius. Is basically how she's kind of doing it, but. The other thing is the speech that Picard makes as well, right at the end. Uh, this is just after uh, Tasha has told Data, like, we don't speak of this again. Yeah, yeah. And Poor Data, the look on Data's face. I mean, he, he's not supposed to have emotions, but he was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but Picard yeah. says, I put it to you all. I think we shall end up with a fine crew if we avoid temptation. So it's almost kind of like the writer saying, this is where we're showing a bit of the horniness between the crew, but that's not going to happen throughout the series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's also like, it's kind of a, a, a um, it's not really a repeat, but it's a very similar ending to the, to the ending of Encounter at Farpoint, where it's a nice little shot of them all on the bridge, yes. getting ready to go to their next sort of thing. They, they would do this a lot in the first season, where they would literally say, oh, that mission's over, cool. Set course for the so-and-so place. And then Picard would be like, engage, and you get a lovely little triumphant, you know, external shot of the Enterprise going into warp. They wouldn't really do that as much when we got to the second and third, fourth, and ultimately, you know, late, later seasons, because it would get a bit boring. Um, but yeah, it's a very similar ending, actually, uh, with a fun little quote from Picard there. Yeah. Um, and he says, you know, he says, oh, you know, um, is it this this episode? I can't remember, you know, having just watched it. It's already... Um, gone out of my head but he thinks you know i think i think our other missions are going to be far more interesting you know so it's um it's, yeah. uh, they're nice those little mo moments at the end um yeah but it all ends quite abruptly again um which is a common theme it, the same thing happened with lonely among us and um, that we reviewed obviously a little while ago um very abrupt um at the end yeah i, I remember watching it and thinking wait this is act five like and, and there's only eight minutes left 
this is going to be a very quick wrap up. Yeah, I mean, he basically data puts all the isolinear chips back in with the time that Wesley got from the repulsor beam, and Riker says bridge engage engines, which is I don't know. It sounds that sounds weird. I don't know why. It's a very weird order. Um, yeah. I don't think anybody ever says engage like engines like ever again. Yeah, well, um, we've spoken about that with the original series that before they'd really established a lot of the the Trek lingo. Uh, we yeah. even had some interesting things uh, from Kirk. Even when they started, before they just say like warp four or warp seven, it'd be warp factor and that kind yeah, of stuff. Exactly, yeah, exactly, you know, yeah. So that that's all still getting established. Uh, but now we move into a new topic that we call Trek Tidbits, where we really get to just kind of dig in briefly to some of the other details we didn't really get to talk about. So the first one that I want to talk about is Chief Engineer McDougal. And um, we have touched on her a little bit, but I, I do. She, this is her only appearance for a start. Yeah, uh, I do really like when she picks up the isolinear chips um, and kind of points out to Shimoda that these are control chips and really berating him like you should know better than to be doing this. But she is one of many engineers. They ended up with Argyle and Logan and Lynch, and I think Argyle. Wasn't that played by the actor who did the whole letter writing campaign to stay on as chief engineer? And that happened before his episode aired. Oh, I've so, no idea. So they kind of um, kicked him out. I think that may have been the actor for Argyle. Yeah, who kind of had a hint of being maybe slightly Scottish. Yeah. He was like, really? You're just going to have Scot- a Scotty as like yeah. the chief, as a chief engineer? Yeah. Yeah. Very, but, very st- strange. Yeah, but until Geordie becomes the sole chief engineer like we end up with with kind of out of nowhere really yeah like they they just i don't know what happened to them we just go through a string of them yeah there was nothing to suggest geordie was had any skill being an engineer uh i mean there was we have the one episode in in season one where he's in command briefly and he kind of does a good job yeah yeah it was it was kind of out of nowhere really when you think about it yeah i just i just don't know where they not where, but rather why they went through a string of chief engineers. Like they just couldn't I mean, really I'll say nail Ge- that down. Geordie becoming the chief engineer was out of nowhere, but obviously it was perfect. Of, oh, you yeah. know, he was absolutely 100% perfect for that job, ultimately. But absolutely. yeah, they just uh, you would think that was quite... A, oh, it was clearly established in TOS that that would be a very important character, yeah. as Mr. S- uh, Scotty was. So it's quite strange that they didn't really have a handle on on, on, on that straight away. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have a counsellor, you know, but we don't have a chief engineer, really. It's, yeah. It's, it's almost strange. like they were trying to, they weren't sure how to go with it with the writing or the actor. So rather than just going, here's a character, they're almost auditioning for what makes the most sense, what actually works in an episode before they, they land on Geordie as, as doing that there. I think it was also the fact that they, they um, it became clear as the first season episodes went by that a chief engineer is a character we qu- we we frequently use in some manner, um, so we, we we should probably have someone being the permanent chief and en- engineer. And obviously, they thought, well, maybe one of the regulars we already have should be that that character instead of getting someone new in. So I think it was just an it just became apparent that, that they needed a chief engineer character um, yeah. uh, more firmly established. And perhaps they thought they would get away with it, and you wouldn't need to really deal with the chief engineer very much. But they're of key a key element of a starship. So um, it was probably out of necessity, really, uh, that they ended up actually, you know, firmly establishing a chief engineer, but it took until the second season. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I also like that this is the the 
time than we hear Data trying to do his limerick about the woman from Venus and get shut down. And this gets revisited in Picard season three when he tries yes. to complete it and he still doesn't get the opportunity to. Yeah, and yeah. Just, it's such a nice so, callback to this episode. Yeah, so you can kind of almost combine that with, you know, the origins of Picard and Crusher um, having a romantic you know, connection started in that episode as well, really. Although you could argue maybe the history they had before then, it was also like like that, but certainly on screen. So yeah. really there's a couple of callbacks to the naked now in Star Trek Picard. It's funny actually because um, we talked about, you know, DC Fontana wrote this and we don't think she probably would have, you know, wanted the sexist sort of elements um, in this episode. But it turns out, again, courtesy of Memory Alpha, thank you guys, that um, she actually asked for her name to be removed after rewrites changed the episode significantly from her original intent. So this is the quote to quote her here. Um, While the script was given a good reaction by almost everybody, the Roddenberry pattern of dealing with scripts befell it. After a staffer turned into the official second... After a staffer turned in the official second draft of the script, they were not allowed to touch it again. No matter how good a script... Uh, no matter how good a script appeared to be, it would be rewritten by Gene Roddenberry. If possible, scenes of sexual content would be inserted into the script. Yeah. Uh, when two such scenes were put into the naked now, in addition to other scenes which I felt debased the female characters of the series, I put my sentiments into a frankly worded memo of, of comment on my script. My comments were ignored. So, uh, yeah, basically, as I speculated, uh, I hadn't read that, that um, fact there from Memory Alpha. Yeah, so it, it did get sprinkled with Roddenberry dust. Yeah. And that probably added this, hey, they're all drunk. They're going to be horny as well. And it's like, Gene, come on, dude. Yeah. And it was like, well, I guess you can't, you can't, you can't override him. It's Gene, Gene Roddenberry, <laughs> you know. So um, hence Tasha Yar and Data doing what they did. So yeah, it looks like that wasn't in the original script. So yeah, um, there we go. So now it's time for our temporal review. A look back for a book that I'm quite fond of, uh, that has reviews of Star Trek episodes. We've, we've touched upon it before. Um, and we're going to see how it was received back in the year 2003. So that book is Beyond the Final Frontier. And to quote the front cover, it is an authorised and unauthorised review of the Trek universe on television and film. And it has season summaries and episode reviews here of all the series up to the second season of Star Trek Enterprise and Star Trek Nemesis. It was written by Mark Jones and Lance Parkin. Again, we've touched upon it a little bit in some of our previous episodes. But obviously there's a review of The Naked Now right here. It's perhaps not as good as the original, but it's a good chance for the cast to show a bit more range and humour than usual to define their characters. Brent Spiner shines as data, while Denise Crosby gets a memorable chance to be slinky. Slinky. Exactly. Kind of a strange phrase to use there. Does she just bounce down the stairs? She became an actual slinky, which is a very disturbing image. <laughs> Probably put that into an AI image generator and see what it would throw out with that. Um, but um, yeah, that was the review. Actually quite kind of positive. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I kind of think it's interesting that like um, Gene Roddenberry's motivation for this episode was basically, you know, it's Gene Roddenberry again. This is sort of a little, a little uh, tidbit from from Memory Alpha. This one was intended by Gene Roddenberry to serve as a means to quickly introduce the wants and needs of new characters. 
so yeah, and that's basically what what, what happens, you know, because they're all drunk. We get to know exactly, you know, what they're interested in, what they like doing. Wesley goes nuts inventing things and is a whiz kid. Um, Picard and Crusher have this relationship that you know was more, well eventually come come to fruition. Yeah. Um, Data, you know, we get to see his funny side, um, which would come out, you know, a bit more subtly, but it would late later on. Um, Riker and Troy, you know, firming up their you know their past a little bit. And kind of the characters of like Riker generally becoming a bit more Rikery, which is basically what happens to him when he gets drunk. He doesn't really become, you know, um, go off the rails. Um, so yeah, you can actually see how that makes sense. You know, th- those sort of traits wouldn't necessarily come out easily in any other situation. Perhaps yeah. very slowly over many years, um, but bang, straight away you can get it all get it all out there. You know, straight away, Geordie not wanting wanting normal sight. You know, all of that stuff. Tasha or Yar wanting to um, have sex with a robot. Um, so, yeah. and, and, and this is where a lot <laughs> of the antithesis stuff. to the criticisms comes in because the, some of the big criticisms is just that it is a retelling. It's just a cheap script from the naked time, from the original series. But it does give those opportun- you know, opportunities to see and explore those characters Especially at a time where in season one, there's not that much character exploration. That stuff doesn't really properly come in until season three. So if anything, if, yeah. when you think about the way that they formatted the episodes, where they're like, we're actually focusing more on the problem at hand rather than it being character driven, you kind of needed this right at the very beginning to fully understand what the wants and needs and drives are for these characters. Yeah, very, very, very starkly and clearly, clearly established um, very early on, um, and a lot of these things will be harked, harkened back to, um, and and as we've already established, you know, in Star yeah. Trek Picard, you know, Data being fully functional, you know, or, or, and uh, Wesley being a whiz kid, who ultimately, you know, this kind of sets him on the path to basically become, you know, his his. Uh, I don't know, his kind of genius is kind of more revealed here with his ability to do all these things that he's able to do in this episode. Um, and that leads on to the point where he's becomes basically an acting ensign. Um, so, yeah, there's some quite um, important character traits are established very firmly. Um, and that kind of brings us to our final thoughts on the episode. I mean, personally, um, I actually think it's it's... it's 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 kind of bad, but it's also good. I think it falls into that. It's bad, but it's good. It's I think it's a lot more entertaining than like Lonely Lonely Among Us, the previous season one episode we um talked about. It does end very yeah. abruptly, like that one did. Uh, but it doesn't really grate on me too much the way it does. Uh, the jeopardy is, you know, of the ship being hit by a big rock thing. Um, I don't think it's quite as. I think the naked now, as as the book review we just mentioned there, is better. Um, I think the characters are a lot more traumatized, really, by what happens to them in in the TOS, especially especially Spock, who is kind of you know kind of goes a bit nuts and goes starts crying and yeah. After a lifetime of trying to repress those emotions, all the effort that he's put in suddenly undone. Yeah, and he, like to the point where he sort of breaks down to Kirk and says, "Look, when I when I feel friendship for you, I'm ashamed." Like really, really strong like like moments and Nurse Chapel um as well, um, whereas Captain Kirk is you know just kind of and you you don't really feel any of the characters really fighting it too much. Riker probably a little bit, 
but Captain Kirk um, goes berserk and like you know really sort of sort of you know talking to himself and trying to reassure himself that he basically is married to the Enterprise in that episode and that kind of what stops him from going going nuts. Um, whereas you don't really have anybody that conflict isn't really there in this episode. No, it, we're, know, we're told that the conflict is there that they're fighting yes. it. Like we're we're told yeah. that that Tasha is fighting it from Troy's perspective. But we don't see it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's basically just the throwaway line from Troy, and it, so I don't think that part works very well. But yeah. as you alluded to earlier, it's still a fun episode, and yeah. I think that it's still enjoyable to watch. Uh, there's also a lot of animated gifs and memes that have come out of this one episode. There is a starking amount. Uh, yeah, so, you know, yeah. Right down from things like like just Picard's little wave to Beverly as she leaves the bridge <laughs> things like that. There's, there's yes. so much that has come from this one single episode. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's very, I mean, obviously did deep space nine become a gold mine in season six for gifts and memes, <laughs> didn't, didn't yeah. it? But, um, yeah, I'd probably say it's probably one of the better episodes of, um, season one. It's probably one of the, one of the few that I go back to on a semi-regular basis, just cause it's, don't think too much. You can stick it on in the background. It's funny. You'll get all the fun little scenes that are in there, the banter and the quips and the just 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 the the, the cast and the characters being able to sort of let loose um a, a little bit. And yeah, I mean, I remember. I think I think I watched this on BBC Two when it actually um, was shown for the first time. I mean, we saw it in October nineteen ninety, yeah. literally like three years after it was shown in America. Um, and I think it was probably like. Um, I mean, this is before I really started to get a hold of some of the VHS tapes, which had only which had only been going, you know, a few months prior. Um, and yeah, I think it might have been literally the second episode of TNG that I'd seen, because up until that point, we talked about this again in the prior episode of you know watching Star Trek in the UK and how difficult it was in the eighties and nineties. Um, I just had the pilot episode for ages. That was mm. the only episode of TNG that I ever saw, and then. Um, it started on BBC Two, so yeah, I remember. I remember making a point of, oh, finally get to see other episodes. Um, the only other TNG that I'd been exposed to was the DC comic, you know, which uh, again was very confusing because the the issues I was getting had this guy with a beard in it who looked a bit like Riker, and I was like, who's that? <laughs> so <laughs> it was that very strange thing where we had the sort of a parallel universe of season three TNG in the comics that we had access to versus what we were seeing on TV. Um, but yeah, I think it was literally the second episode that I saw. So I might have a bit of extra nostalgia on top of it for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I still have some hazy memories as a kid of just seeing the crew quarters with everybody just frozen to death. And yeah. there, was, there were still times where if I'm in a room with people and it's freezing, like just thinking like, if this temperature drops any further, I know exactly what this will look like. And <laughs> it's just, just everything's white ice. It might result in the Scythe 2000 virus. <laughs> <laughs> Which you really don't want to happen uh, um, at all. But um, So, I mean, what is your what is your final thought on that then, Al, before we uh, we wrap up? Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's just fun. I, don't, I think there's a lot of stuff that I don't want to say isn't canon, but just doesn't sit well with how things are established later on. Uh, we see a lot of Data smiling, like when he's shaking yeah, yeah. Wesley's hand in a way that yeah. he normally doesn't. And this is when he's not intoxicated. 
Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but for a second episode, it is what it is. And it, I think it's, it's still fun and, and still holds up surprisingly well. Yeah, definitely better than um, Lonely Among Us or prior season one episode, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you enjoyed this retrospective, then you can find more on our website over at longrangecensors.com, which is where you can learn more about us, join our Discord, and discover how you can support us on Patreon. And if you're eager for more Star Trek content, then check out our companion show, Short Range Sensors, where we dig into some of the finer details of Star Trek nerdery. I would love to hear Sean Connery say the word short range sensors. Um, I'm Trevor. I'm Alistair. And you've been listening to Long Range Sensors, which is a very fine podcast when we avoid temptation. Okay, so... We did the thing. We did the thing. (laughs) We're back! (laughs) It's like Ghostbusters 2. (laughs) 